And we will read verses 1 and go into verse 16, the very first sentence of verse 16. And, and where we're at is Jesus before Pilate, and this is the second part. We started uh, with Jesus and Pilate in chapter 18, and, and now we're to the second part. And, and we left off with the Jewish people asking for Barabbas. Uh, Pilate had tried to placate the Jewish leaders by saying, okay, I'll, what if I call them guilty, but then release them, because I always release a prisoner, and, and that way you can call him guilty and, and I don't have to do anything, because uh, when you see in chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate really finds no guilt in Jesus at all. And uh, so when we get to verse 19, knowing that Pilate has found no guilt, this first verse seems a little out of place. Uh, but what it does is shows us this path that Jesus uh, continues on, this very unfair path uh, that is set before Jesus. And so uh, we'll continue on now. Pilate, when we, as I mentioned, when we left, had to decide uh, what he was going to do about Jesus, and we'll find out. John chapter 19, let me begin at verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They come, came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic Gadatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The word
word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, we thank you for these words you give us, these words of truth, these words that bear witness to what Jesus endured on our behalf. And as we look at these words, Lord, we pray that you will be glorified and that you will speak your truth into our hearts, that we may be strengthened by it, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we uh, began, uh, Jesus and Pilate uh, last week when we took the first part of this, I, I noted uh, that it was important to, to know the audience. Uh, the Jewish people, know your audience, know Pilate, know what you need to do to get him to convict Jesus. And, and Pilate uh, thinks he knows the Jewish people. And he's been coming up with ways to try to placate them, to, to do what they want, but not really have to kill Jesus. He, he still doesn't find any guilt in him. Uh, Barabbas was one ploy he was going to use, but, but that one didn't work out. And what we find out is the Jewish people know Pilate better than Pilate knows the Jewish people. They know how to play the right music and get Pilate to dance. But he's got another uh, trick up his sleeve here, uh, another uh, fresh strategy to try to set Jesus free. And we see that in the first verse of John 19. Here's, here's what he's going to do. He's going to flog Jesus and, and then bring him out and Hopefully that will be enough. They'll set him free. In fact, in Luke 23, Luke records that, that Pilate said, uh, he's done nothing to deserve death, but I'll punish him and then release him. And so that's what he's hoping to do here. Now, there's three different kinds of flogging, by the way, that the Romans would inflict on people. The, the first type of flogging is the less severe type. And this would be your good old-fashioned beat-down. Uh, you, you beat them up pretty good. Teach them a lesson, you know, that, that type of thing. Uh, it was for relatively light offenses, and I'm quoting here a, the, a theologian, relatively light offenses such as hooliganism. And I like that definition because I love saying hooliganism. It's a fun word. And, and this one would usually come with a stern warning. You know, we, we, we beat you up a little bit, and, and we give you a, a good warning. Then there's a second flogging that's more severe for more severe offenses, and, and that one's where you bring out the whips, uh, and, and it's official whipping, maybe. And then there's this third kind, uh, which is horrible. Uh, this is for those who are going to die. You, you've convicted them, and, and you're going to crucify them or, or kill them some way, and, and you would strip the person and, and tie them to uh, a post or, or tie them somehow, and then uh, guards would take uh, whips, leather whips that had bones or, or pieces of metal in, and basically whip the person until they got tired. 
and until they were tired. Sometimes they'd get called off if they had uh, more whipping to do later that day. Maybe they would get called off. And, and this, uh, people sometimes died. They never made it to the cross. They, they would die uh, before they ever left the room. They, they never would. Um, now in Mark 15, we read that the flogging is received after the guilty verdict. But here, uh, we're reading about a flogging before the guilty verdict. And so, what we can safely assume is that Jesus endured two floggings that morning. The first flogging, this one, is probably the less severe one, the, the lightest of the floggings, which would still offend us. We would still find it horrible. But the, the next flogging he would receive later would be the most severe, the one that people sometimes didn't live through. But this is the, the beat-you-up kind of flogging. And, and we see that. They, the soldiers twisted this, this crown of thorns and, and put on this purple robe, and, and they'll do that again later. Uh, they're mocking Jesus as they do this. He's called himself a king. But then notice they, they come up to him and, and say, Hail, King of the Jews. They mock him. And they struck him with their hands. And John points that out. They're not whipping him, although maybe a couple whip shots were in there. But this is your good old-fashioned. We'll give him some black eyes and bloody lip and a couple of stomach shots maybe. And, and he's going to look bad especially with blood dripping down his face, and, and, and he's sweating at this time, I'm sure, which makes it look even worse. Uh, but then Pilate comes out, and, and we see in verse 4, and announces, I'm bringing him out to you that, that you may know I find no guilt in him. So they bring Jesus out, still wearing that crown of thorns and this purple robe, and Pilate says to them, Behold, the man, and Jesus at this point, I'm sure, is a sorry sight. Swollen, bruised, black eyes, bleeding, but certainly looking harmless. And I think that was Pilate's intent. Here's this broken down man. Here he is. You still want me to crucify him? He's no threat to Rome. And he's maybe thinking that the Jewish people are going to have some mercy on him, feel some sense of remorse, or maybe at least this idea, well, you know what, we'll give him another chance. Yeah, they, they beat him up pretty good. Maybe he'll listen now. But Pilate doesn't know the Jewish people. He doesn't know the leaders, the Jewish leaders specifically. They don't like Jesus. They don't really like Pilate either. And they're not going to be happy with Pilate trying to placate them. They're not going to stand for anything less than crucifixion. And so they cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. But before they do that, they make a mistake. The, the Jews, uh, they answer him. And, and when we say Jews, once again, it's, it's the, 
the, the Jewish uh, leaders. Actually, they, they cry crucify him, and, and Pilate mocks them a little bit with this take him yourself. Uh, but, but then they, they make their, their mistake. They say, we have a law. According to that law, in verse 7, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Now, this law that they're referring to is uh, specifically Leviticus 24, verse 16, which reads, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, it says. And actually, they're supposed to stone him, so uh, the crucifixion is out of line anyhow. But uh, blasphemy, and if you remember the synoptics, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they made that very clear that before the council, before the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin, uh, blasphemy was the charge. He had made himself out to be the son of God. At least he didn't deny it. Um, and that was what the high priest said. This is blasphemy. And so here uh, they tell Pilate, he's made himself out to be the son of God. But remember, they had brought Jesus to him saying he was trying to be king. That's what they needed to charge Jesus with is, is rebellion or insurrection. He's trying to be a king. But here it slips out the real charge. Uh, he made himself out to be son of God. Now, on a political level, Pilate doesn't really care if he's calling himself son of God, or I should say Rome doesn't care if he's calling himself the son of God. But notice in verse 8, when Pilate hears this statement, the son of God, he, this hadn't been brought up before, He's even more afraid now. This new charge is something different. And on a personal level, Pilate is scared. Because Pilate is most likely, like all the rest of the Romans, very superstitious. And they had many gods, polytheism. They had many gods, and all of these gods were to be feared. And so there's a good bit of superstition with Pilate. And also what had happened earlier, John didn't record, but Matthew does. In Matthew 27, while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, this is uh, 27:19 of Matthew, um, his wife sent word to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. And dreams also meant something to the Roman people. And so all of a sudden, here's this charge, not of insurrection, of trying to be a king, but son of God. He's got an inside to one of the gods. And then his wife has this dream. And remember, Pilate just had, had this guy beaten up. And Pilate's scared. What have I done? Have I offended one of the gods? Uh, meanwhile... The Jewish people are probably standing there thinking, who said that? Who said son of God? That This isn't good. There's, there's this moment of truth. Someone actually spoke the truth. The Jewish people don't want truth right now. They want him up as a king. Uh, this is not good. Because now not only is this not really against Roman law, as insurrection would be. But now we've got superstitious Pilate who's 
fear, he's got fear of all the gods. He doesn't necessarily know the true God, but, but he's going to be hesitant to convict. And, and, and the drama builds as John writes this. Because now Pilate's going to take Jesus again, just as he had done earlier. He goes back inside and, and takes Jesus with him. We see that in verse 9. He enters the headquarters, and he's scared. And he says to Jesus, where are you from? A Pilate, we see, is afraid. He's not really remorseful. On a personal level, he's afraid he may have offended a god. Not really remorseful. He's, he's superstitious, uh, but really has shown no interest in real understanding. Everything Jesus has said to him has gone way over his head. And for Jesus, there's really no way to answer this question, where are you from? There's no way to, under, uh, to, to answer this in a way that Pilate's going to understand, or at least be willing to understand. You know, what would Pilate say if Jesus said, well, I come from eternity past? You know, how do you answer that question if you're Jesus? And I think there's just this silence. Pilate, you know my story. I, there's not much more to say here. And, and Pilate now, who is scared and I think he does what a lot of people do when they get scared. He gets irritated very easily, and you can tell he's irritated by this silence. You will not speak to me? And, and in addition to this, he's had these Jewish leaders pushing him around a little bit. He's been trying to get Jesus off for a while now, and they've been pushing him around, and then he's dealing with Jesus who speaks in these mysterious ways if he speaks at all and, and now he's stopped talking and, and, and he does what every self-serving paranoid person does when they're threatened. He acts tough. You know who I am? You're not going to speak to me? I'm the guy who could release you. I'm the guy who could crucify you. You're not going to speak to me? It's the last thing he's got. And Jesus answers, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Now remember, he's directing that towards Pilate. And Pilate can take that statement in a couple different ways. Authority from above for Pilate can mean Caesar. Oh yeah, Rome is, is in charge here. Caesar Tiberius, he's, he's the one. Or, since the Son of God thing has come up, maybe one of the gods has given him. But, but either way, when Jesus says that, he understands, Pilate does, that his authority is somewhat pretend authority. Authority that could be taken away from him. And, and Jesus goes on by saying, therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Uh, one, one theologian writes this, Pilate remains responsible for his spineless, politically motivated judicial decision, but he did not initiate the trial or engineer the betrayal that brought Jesus into court. 
And that's what Jesus is pointing out. There's somebody else here, Pilate. And you can speculate, is it Judas he's talking about? Is it Caiaphas, the high priest? Or is it Annas, who's kind of the muscle behind the high priest, the one that everyone considers to be the high priest? Uh, is it one of those specifically when Jesus says, he who delivered me? Uh, I kind of take it that he as uh, what they call the generic singular. Yeah, he and, and him and, and him and him. There's, there's people that brought me here, Pilate. They're, they're the ones to, to blame why we're both here in this room. And remember the scene. Here's Jesus and here's Pilate and they're inside and all the Jewish leaders are outside. And this is the second time that Pilate and Jesus have gone uh, where they can't hear. And this would be very concerning for them. As I mentioned last week, they know Jesus and they know that he speaks the truth and and they, well, what is truthful, uh, speaks the real truth, uh, the powerful truth. It speaks with authority. Let me put it that way. They know he can speak with authority and that people listen and understand. And so they're thinking, what is he saying in there? What, what is going on? And what Jesus said actually connected with Pilate. Notice the first few words of verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Something in what Jesus said and how he said it clicked in Pilate. Pilate probably started thinking, you know what? This whole thing is wrong. Why are we here? Why are you here, Jesus? Why am I here? Let's just end this thing. This is, I, I'm not the one that brought you here. You don't want to be here. Now, unfortunately for Pilate, the, the, the truth can be fleeting for a guy that's more worried about self-preservation than truth. And also, unfortunately for Pilate, the Jewish leaders know how to play on his fears. And they hit on a good one. The Jewish people cry out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Notice they've gone back to the king idea now. We have to give up on that son of God thing. That, that's not going to work, and that was, uh, that was a misstep. We're back to the king, but you're not a Caesar's friend if you release him. Now, Caesar's friend may have been uh, somewhat of an official title. It, it became one later. It carries a little more weight than I think what we read here. It's maybe a semi-official title, a uh, friend of Caesar. Um, but we have to know a little bit about Caesar. Caesar Tiberius is paranoid. He's very suspicious. He's very wary of political threats. That's why uh, this king thing, sticking, making that stick on Jesus would help. But also, uh, something we don't have in Scripture, but we have in history, is there something going on in Pilate's life that we should probably know about? And it seems the Jewish leaders may have known about what was going on. 
Pilate had a good friend whose name was Sejanus. And Sejanus, he was high-ranking and probably the guy who got Pilate this appointment as governor of Judea. Very high-ranking, uh, very influential. And we're not sure of the timing of all of this. Uh, it, it has to do with uh, what year you think uh, Jesus died in. But, but what had happened with Sejanus is he had come under uh, suspicion of plotting to seize the imperial succession for himself, plotting to be Caesar. And maybe, uh, maybe this is right at the beginning of that uh, going on, and remember, he's a good friend of Pilate and probably Pilate's mentor. Or maybe it had already come to a conclusion, that once again, depending on what year uh, you put Jesus' death in. But either way, this is an event going on, and Pilate is in a pretty delicate position here. Wait a minute. I've already got some dirt on me because of Sejanus. If, if this gets back, there. By the way, Sejanus was deposed, executed, and many of his followers were executed as well. So if that had already happened, Pilate is terrified. If they're in the midst of that happening, Pilate is still pretty scared. And look how quickly things change. As soon as they say that, in verse 13, when Pilate heard these words, he brings Jesus in, he's going to sit down, and it's time for judgment, and he will no longer oppose the Jewish people. They've said the right words, and he's no longer going to resist them. Time for judgment. John writes in verse 14, the day of preparation, both the sixth hour, and he brings Jesus out, Behold your king! And they uh, cry out, Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And, and some uh, write this, in fact, most, I will be honest, uh, they write this and, and they speculate that Pilate is being very uh, sarcastic and, and mocking them. Behold your king, and, and remember Jesus is looking pretty bad at this point. Shall I crucify your king, mocking them as though saying, you can't, shall I do it? I don't necessarily see it that way. I almost see it as though Pilate is now in league with them. Behold your king, and when they cry out, crucify him, Pilate almost triumphantly cries out, shall we crucify your king? And they would have all exploded in cheers, jubilation. Yes, let's crucify him and these two forces of evil, if you will, unite. And in verse 16, we see he delivers him over to them, uh, basically the guards, who will now do whatever the Jewish leaders ask to be crucified. Here we have Jesus standing among them, the chief priests, Pilate, 
And the chief priests, they cry out. When, when Pilate asks, shall we crucify your king? They cry out, we have no king but Caesar. And for the Jewish people, now once again, put yourself there, these Jewish people, if they had had a moment of clarity when they hear their Jewish leaders say, we have no king but Caesar, this should have struck fear in their hearts. The only true king of Israel is God, and that is a big theme in the Old Testament. They would have all known their Old Testament scripture. In fact, when they first demanded to have a king from the prophet Isaiah, and I, I'm sorry, the prophet Samuel, and Samuel uh, went to God and said, they want a king, and this isn't right, because you are our king. And, and God told Samuel, he said, they're not rejecting you, they're, they're rejecting me from being king over them. And, and that was a, a long-running theme in the Old Testament, how the Jewish people kept going for bad kings. And to hear them cry out here, we have no king but Caesar. They've gone the way of the world completely. And John, remember in his prologue, way back in chapter 1, he had written, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And we see the fulfillment of that. They don't receive him. In fact, they say, our king is Caesar. And remember, in the synoptics, the charge against Jesus is blasphemy. And here we have the Jewish leaders committing the very same crime themselves. But they commit it for real. Blasphemy. In their self-righteous ambition, which so easily translates into outright selfishness, they have announced their allegiance to Caesar, announced their allegiance to the world. We see Pilate here where his fear of Caesar, his fear of, of man, of the world, is greater than his fear of God that he once had back in verses 7 and 8 when he was afraid that this might be the Son of God. He delivers him over, and, and these two parties come to this agreement to kill Jesus one motivated by fear of man over God, the other proclaiming their worldly, worldliness to fulfill uh, their desire, basically. And these are both traps that many fall into today to rid themselves of Christ. They'll fall into the trap of fearing man over God. They'll be worldly desires. And here's the Lamb of God standing in the middle of it, and he dies. And as he dies, he brings in this new covenant that he had announced uh, that he would do, the covenant in his blood. And I don't want to bring in this, this new term, this new covenant, what that all means, except uh, to point out that it had been prophesied, uh, the prophet uh, Jeremiah uh, talked about this new covenant uh, when he writes, uh, God is speaking through him, I will make with them an everlasting covenant, this covenant with his people. 
And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me, and I will rejoice in doing them good. And here we have this group of people, they don't properly fear God, reverently fear God. They turn from him to the world, but Christ dies to forgive sins and to bring in this new covenant. And God says, I will give them new hearts and I will make them faithful and they will have a fear of me and they won't turn from me. Praise God that Jesus in the midst of all this stood firm and ushered in this new covenant. Praise God for his faithfulness and his faithfulness that he gives us that we may be faithful. And may we do our best to never fall into the trap of fear and desire. Christ died that we can be forgiven of that. And he died that we can be strengthened to continue to walk the road of righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot imagine what Jesus was enduring that day of his death. But we can read about it and be strengthened by your truth that he endured it all, every flogging, every fist, every insult, and the cross itself, Lord, that cross on which he died to bring us to you. That cross where we find our forgiveness and our salvation, but we also find our hope and our strength. Lord, keep us faithful to your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name.